0: Otherwise, with Nancy
1: Richards. Yeah. Well, Otherwise, it is with me, Nancy Richards. Nice to have you with us and uh, talking women we are, as we do each and every weekday. Team, today we've got Hazel McRozany back, we've got Ricardo McCarthy, and you've got me. It's Nancy Richards. So what we have on the show today, we've just got two items, in fact. After the news headlines at 1.30... Going to be picking up on that story that we were to have spoken about yesterday hormones and headaches. <laughs> and oh, yes, don't they go together? Dr. Elliot Shovel of the Headache Clinic is going to be talking about the links between the two, and that's in the light of an American study that was done so that we know that it's real. But before that, we have in the studio, we heard her little giggle there. She's Marlene LaRue. She's the Director (laughs) of Audience Development at Artscape, and she's recently been awarded the Knighthood of the French President for her work in the arts. Well, we'll be hearing what that means and uh, a little bit of her personal story, because I feel that she has a great deal to share. Not always that we get to talk to women who are role models, and I think she is so wonderful to hear. Yes, you are. So that's what we've got lined up, and hope you're going to stay with us. Let me give you a little bit of what's news. Well, good news is that, uh, women's news, is that former Deputy President of South Africa, the first woman in the role, you'll remember, Pumzile Mlambo-Nukha, has been appointed the new Executive Director of UN Women. It's an organisation leading the UN's work on advancing gender equality and women's rights, which is really wonderful news, uh, especially to have a South African woman in such a role. And um, mlambo Nuka was... Certainly, she comes with a great deal of history in this area. She was, uh, a while back now, the Young Women's Coordinator for the World's Young Women's Christian Association in Geneva. That was back in the 80s. She also served as the first president of the Natal Organization of Women, an affiliate of the United Democratic Front when it was formed back in December 83. So, we're looking forward to that, and if we can get hold of her on this program, we will certainly do our best to do that thing, talking of role models. Well, once again, uh, otherwise coming to you from the mother city, which, according to International Travel and Leisure magazine, has been named the fourth best city in the world. Oh, wow! Exactly, and that comes uh, after Bangkok, Istanbul, and Florence, yeah, and Cape Town. And that's uh, apparently according to a readers' questionnaire. Also, good to know that six South African hotels made it to the top hundred in the world. Mm. Let me tell you which they are: Sabi Sabi Private Game Reserve, Singita Sabi Sands. Kate Grace here in Cape Town, Londolosi Game Reserve, and the Saxon Boutique Hotel in Johannesburg. And just if I might tell you, talking of game reserves, on the Enviro Show tonight, that's uh, between 9 and 10 this evening, our conservation icon is Dr Ian Player. He is the founder of the Wilderness Leadership School, and he's also a champion of the Rhino. And uh, what a man he is, so do stay with us for that. And just quickly, whilst we're on the Enviro show, you'll also be interested to know that we're going to be talking, amongst other things, to the off-island environmental manager for Centralina Island, where they are busy building an airport in a construction project of epic proportions. So, looking forward to hearing all about <laughs> Me that. Too. I have to tell you this one because man flu, which is very common apparently amongst South African men, um, reveals and it reveals that it really is a, a reality. Well, what can I say? I'm not getting the words quite right. But there was a massive tweet-a-thon staged by a leading cold and flu medicine provider, Pharma Dynamics, that revealed that amongst uh, other unusual colds and flu discoveries, that man flu is alive and well among South African men. Most female participants simply put man flu down to the need for a whole lot more attention when men are sick, accompanied by a burning need to lie on the couch and watch copious amounts of television. This is serious, let me tell you. But the latest research indicates that there is some truth in this condition. A spokesperson for Pharma Dynamics said that when struck by the flu, men really do suffer more. When you have a flu, your temperature rises to fight off the bugs. The difference, however, between men and women is that the region of the brain, which controls temperature, the area is the same size in childhood, but when boys hit puberty, testosterone starts to act on the area, known as preoptic nucleus making it larger. As a result, men could experience general colds and flu symptoms, but more intensely than women, because they have more temperature receptors in that area of the brain. Well, Mm. there you go, guys. Now you can Mm. suffer knowing that you're absolutely on the money. But I just want to tell you this, too, whilst we're talking about brains. And this is a study that came from London. Women apparently know less about politics than men. A very controversial study released just yesterday. A group of researchers from universities in 10 countries said that they were shocked to discover an unmistakable gender gap in what men and women knew about current affairs. Sociologists said that the results reflected how marginalised women are from public life, where the majority of leading figures are men. Well, what can I say? We don't uh, we don't have cold so badly, but we certainly don't know a whole lot about politics either. So there you go. Do stay tuned to listening to Otherwise.
2: Otherwise on SAFM.
1: Well, having a good laugh at all those little bits of information is Marlene LaRue, who joins me in the studio. And I have to tell you, she's brought me two beautiful roses. And it's seldom we get to have flowers in the studio. So they look really lovely. And thank you very much, Marlene. It's
2: because you serve the nation so well, Nancy. Well,
1: it's a team effort. So there's one for me and one for Hayden. So course. thank you very much. Well, Marlene Roux, the reason we invited her in just because it's a good excuse. Um, she just recently received a knighthood of the French president for her work in the arts. So, well, what does that mean? Well, according to the French ambassador Elizabeth Barbier, it means that she's a friend of France and a freedom fighter who shares the values of the French Republic. She's not wearing her little beret uh, uh, or doing uh, in her <laughs> bag. <laughs> <laughs> but it seems to me especially appropriate because actually Marlene is a fighter. She's been an activist for many things her whole life. Um, but her arts and her role as Director of Audience Development at Artscape, but also for disabled women. And through her Look at Me initiative, and, and we've talked about it a number of times here on Otherwise. In fact, we have the photographs of the Look at Me exhibition uh, adorning ABCs. the walls right here at the mm. SABC. And if you want to come and look at them, you are so welcome. We're right here in Seapoint. But we're going to hear a little bit about her work. But I'm hoping that she's also going to tell us a little bit about herself, because... Um, she is very proud to announce that she was born in rural Wellington where she was brought up by her grandmother that was one of 11 children She contracted polio at a very young age, in fact, as an infant, Mm. I think. But her disability has so not got in her way. In fact, she herself has a son who has cerebral palsy, who is uh, blind and unable Mm. to speak. So life is not a bed of roses, so thank you for bringing me the
2: roses, (laughs) Marlene. But lovely, lovely to have you. But, you know, it has taught me how to appreciate other people. And um, why I do share my story, I also realize that I'm every day so blessed Because I still have the opportunity to have a job. Because if you have a job in South Africa, you're actually extremely rich. And if you have a job as a disabled person, it's even more, because if you look at the stats now, it's the, the, which we all the time discuss with our ministry for women, disability and children, which I think it's a daunting task to have that underneath one particular ministry. It's extremely important that we realize that if you just go around and ask how many persons with disability has a job, then you realize that the status is extremely, extremely low. And for me to be able to sit here and to be able to drive a car, it's a blessing. Because I can still afford two nurses that can look after my child full time. He is so spoiled. He is the most spoiled cerebral palsy in life ever. He's a happy child because we can afford to give him. But what about that mother that's on the fourth floor in Mannenberg? in a flat that shares it with other families, or in Kailicha or in a shack, they don't have the opportunity like I have. So I haven't arrived yet. We can only arrive as a nation. And I can only say I have achieved a lot if I know that my fellow human being can afford the same type. And I'm not saying that we must have the same salary. What I'm saying is equity that we need to look at the quality of health services and that we don't need to lump disabilities together. Because if you're deaf, you require other tools than if you extremely cerebral palsy like my child. So it's, it's a matter of how do we look at our priorities also as a country and not look at the arms. Who's going to fight against South Africa? So in my work that I'm trying to do, and I'm very privileged to be at an organization, Artscape, where we look at the arts totally differently. We look for the arts for the sake of the arts, which is extremely important as well. But we also look at the arts as how do we develop critical mindsets? How do we develop on telling the stories that's really been untold to bring our nation together? How do we bring women together from all walks of life, from all different political spheres, so that not everything can be politicized. Like, for instance, our annual women's festival that we have every year to this year, we're looking at all the, the the rape that is taking place every single time. Why? So women's festivals are not just about women. It's about respect. It's about our young boys. So all of this we look at plays that speaks to the nation as per se, so that we can look at our society. Through the mirror of our of 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 the art, so we're in a very uh, peculiar space, but also a space that can have power to speak to people. And and and, and, and in that way, the, the rural programs that we have, taking the theatre to the people, is that is to cross the Rubicon as well, to look at the streets and the railway lines that divides the different areas, the black townships, the colored townships, the, the white townships. Only we that have money really experience the new South mm-hmm. Africa. But if you're poor, and you live in the parlour in Wellington, and you're black, you stay in a McQueen, and if you coloured, you stay in the scheme, right? Like the behind, like uh, uh, the pluckers come of, or, or, or we talk about the backyard dwellers. And you ask yourself, is that, how do you cross that? So, as a nation, we need to ask ourselves, let's take it again, elections, let's take a few steps back. And say to ourselves, mustn't we concentrate ma- much more on the humanity? How do we build the humanity of our society? That we can feel and sympathize with each other before we use the stick all the time of the color of our skins? Or 20 years in democracy for next year? How do we How do we look and how do we walk into the shoes of somebody else and, and say to ourselves, how am I going to Help that person in order for us to move forward. People will say, but Marlene, you're working with the soft issues. But apartheid worked in the minds of people, all of us. If you're a certain age, every day I tell myself, Marlene, you're a racist man. I need to talk to myself. Don't think about somebody else as stereotyping that person. Don't think. So you must consciously Talk to yourself about that. Because I'm 46 years old, I was born in the rural areas, farm areas. My people were farm laborers, so you need to look at that in, in that particular context. Now, how do you deconstruct a human being that's been through that, that's been compartmentalized in a way that we look at, Uh, This because that was geographically apartheid worked very well. So how do we deconstruct? So I take myself. So if I weren't introduced to the University of the Western Cape, I would have still be in the rural area, in the scheme area, and still think, if I can just take to myself, that I'm better than black people. So I had the opportunity to come out of that situation, being introduced to a wonderful university at that time, University of the Western Cape, where the best minds were there, that we were confronted of looking at new leadership for our country. How do we need to... to. To dream about a new South Africa. How do we want to see socialism? How do we want to look at Marxism? How do we want to construct a new society? That was the debates that we had that time. I feel that we need to talk about those debates again. Because there's a generation that we left behind.
1: We do, and who better to do that than women? Because you, you mentioned so many things there. One of the things you mentioned was, um, well, what I was talking about women, you know, not knowing far yeah. less about politics, yes. and how interesting is that? Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Topic for another day. But maybe they're busy with social issues, yes. um, w- which is really yes. what we're talking about here. And the social issues, you say that somebody said to you, you are working with the soft issues, yes. the arts, but actually the arts... Are about social issues. that exactly what the arts are about. And if it weren't for the arts, you wouldn't be in the situation that it was. It was the arts that
2: helped you cross that divide. But it was also about, even in the party struggle, it was. It was about literature that we have read. It's about the good. It was about the writers that we read, that informed you what you want. So it's not just about arts are not elitist. The arts are the mirror of the society, so it's very easy now for us to say, "Oh, ballets, classics, ballets." No, it's not. It's it's really not. It's about you, we need to expose all our young people to every opportunity that is there in order for them to make up their own minds where they want to be as persons and to fulfill their roles as citizens, but also global citizens. It's and 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 what is very worrying for me is that. um in the sense, is that women struggle. If we just look at our figures, it's we're we actually in an extremely macho society. Our leaders are males all around. Women, we are ministers, I must, I must say, but we need to become presidents to, in order to change that. If I look at Kusato, we need... A female Kusato leader in order to look at how are we going to change the factory worker uh, uh, floor. My mother was a factory floor worker. How are we going to change that on the floor? And so it's, it's extremely important that what you see you're going to emulate. And those are the factors we can talk about gender equality. But if our males... And in especially, and I like to talk about this, because the more we're talking about it, the more we're going to take responsibility, maintenance, for instance. The first campaign that I would like to run, and I want to throw that out to the society, is that let's start with our leaders. How many are paying maintenance? Let's talk about our magistrates. Let's talk about our CUSA leaders. Let's talk about our parliamentarians. Do they pay maintenance on time for the children that they have? Then we can talk as a nation. Hold that thought.
1: We're talking to Marlene Leroux. And if you thought she was going to be talking about soft issues, well, not so much. Marlene Leroux, recently a recipient, recent recipient of the Knighthood of the French President for her work in the arts at Artscape. Stay with us. Do you want to learn how to pitch your business idea effectively? Do you want to take your existing business to the next level? Engine Pitch and Polish in association with SAFM is setting the stage for entrepreneurs. If you believe in your business idea and would like some guidance, then we want you to attend our inspiring workshop where you will receive expert training and tips. This free workshop is coming to a town near you. For more info, SMS PITCH, your name and city to 45982. Register online at pitchandpolish.com or phone zero double 566 2000 SMS costs fifty. TC and
2: Introducing more savings from Specsavers. Now you can get between 250 and 1,000 Rand off the normal industry price for your prescription lenses. That's right, up to 1,000 Rand off your prescription lenses. Another reason why we are South Africa's leading eye care group. Change to Specsavers for affordable eye care and a whole lot more. TNC's apply.
1: The SABC have a position for a sourcing specialist who will conduct strategic sourcing projects and activities on behalf of the SABC in order to deliver quantitative benefits. Some of the key responsibilities will be preparing tenders, RFPs and RFQs, as well as forming and leading cross-functional teams for different projects and business units, negotiating with suppliers and documenting the process and outcomes. If you possess a degree or diploma in procurement, supply chain management or a commercial degree with at least five years' experience in a business environment and three years' experience in com- procurement, strategic sourcing, then forward your CV to group vacancies at savc.co.za or fax 01 714 Closing date, 12th of July 2013.
0: Otherwise, with Nancy Richards. Yeah.
1: It's otherwise where we talk women here on SAFM. And we're talking now to Marlene LaRue, who uh, recently received a knighthood from the French president for her work in the arts, Um, and uh, director of audience development at Artscape. Um, Marlene, I just want to talk about you, just for a minute, because I think it's really Mm. important what you have to say. You say you came from the Coloured Scheme Mm. in Wellington. You were one of... Your grandmother brought Mm. you up, because your mother was, as you say, on the factory floor, getting up at Mm. 5 o'clock in the morning. You were one of 11
2: children... Mm. I mean, you were a village in yourself (laughs) And we're still a village It's like a mafia in Wellington But (laughs) you know what was the beauty of it? It was, I grew up in a very Although it was conservative But it was ethics, values to strong women My mother and my granny And my aunts was actually my sisters And for them it was about honesty It was about believing in yourself Being on time for your work So from a very young age I've been taught to be disciplined and to respect other people. You know, the church played a huge role that time. It's the only time that you really can um, go out. You go on buses with the church. So respecting the elderly, respecting your fellow human being. So you don't need to be rich to have values. I, I just want to say that. It's because where I come from, there was values all the time. Don't romanticize the poor. Don't get me wrong. Because, But at least I needed to be in school every single day. Uh, whether you're sick, you need to be at school. So education is very important, uh, was important in my life because they also realized for me to get out of my, I was the first person in my family that went to university and ever as a, as a woman. And besides being a woman, how did, you, how,
1: did you, how did that happen? I, I talked about you know it being the, the crossing of the divide, the arts for the crossing of a divide. You mentioned the church. I think you, you
2: sang with the church. There was yes, there was music yes. in the church. But how did you? How did you get to UWC? You know, it's it's about teachers. That's why I value teachers so much because the teach teachers saw the value in myself. And they 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 saw that I like to read, I like to write poetry, uh, I like music, and they took me by the hand, and that's why we need to invest in teachers, because they made a difference in my life, and they believed that I must go, they rally around that I need to get a bursary, I don't know how my mother paid for my university, but... It, it it was that so i need i needed to know that i needed to make it in life because there were so many people that gives back and i have the opportunity now to say thank you and I, every opportunity that i get i go back to my teachers to show them that i'm i'm grateful because they could have just looked the other way around so for me it's like if i could make it then other people can also make it yeah. because yeah. the yeah. odds was also just against me but it's 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 also about you need to believe in yourself. And what a lot of doors was closed for me. I must also say is
1: that the, the, some of the doors that would probably have been closed to you, and it's how ironic is that you're now in doing the work that you do, audience development at Artscape, having kids find, discover the arts, breathe in the arts. How many plays or productions or any of those sort of things did you go to when you were young?
2: I d- couldn't. And the Nicomelan mm. was closed for persons mm. of color. I was a music student, and I couldn't. So you wouldn't t- have seen anything. No, of those but you, you see, you can't live in the past. If I must now be at Artscape and say it, every day this was an organization only for white people, we now need to look at what difference do I make there, and I need to applaud also the persons like who I work with and the team that I work with because I'm not a person on my own at all. It's. Important that we. How do we take our history forward in order to make a difference? Where you are, you can stand on platforms and say whatever beautiful words and inspire people, so but you must make a difference. Can can we make a difference through the arts? I mean, can we and the values that you were talking
1: about earlier? Can we get those across in the arts? It seems to me that the arts are such a good vehicle for
2: pretty much everything. The first time I produced the show Beautiful with wheelchair dancers and deaf dancers in particular and cerebral palsy, everybody on stage, um, the first time people said to me, but Marlene, what are you doing? I said, you know, you need to see people with disabilities of a- to, to be able to do their dreams because they're singers, they're everybody. I had sold-out performances with Beautiful and every time the audience left, the comments that I got is that they didn't see the wheelchair, they only saw... Ab- uh, ability, and and that what 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 it is is that if you and the arts transcends the arts speaks to you, the arts doesn't use a stick to hit you. If you look at the playwriting of Mike Van Graan for instance, is that speaking to the issues that we are going through as a nation. So you can go in and come to the to the theater with all your prejudice, stereotyping whatsoever, but you're going to take something out of there that's going to... S- art speaks to you. It's, uh, if the arts can't speak to you, then there's something wrong with the producer. And
1: I have to say that the arts is a really good platform for women. I know that you were in Grace yes. Town just recently and I know that you, you ran around like a proverbial getting to see everything that you possibly could. I'm going to give you a second here to talk about your Women's Arts Festival which is coming up yes. in August where, where you always shout even louder than ever because, because this is the time and because we can. Yes. So what, what have you got lined up?
2: Um, this year we're combining a Humanity Festival with Women and Disability. And this year's festival program includes collaborations with the Kylie campaign, with Kylie herself. It's the first woman with cerebral palsy that needs an aid that's at the University of UCT. Tip down. Do we call her a woman now? I She's a woman. I She's a woman she now. Is. I'm very proud she of her. To be a little girl. And we have also Shona shown her Shona herself has a cerebral palsy child, but she started this NGO building wheelchairs. Otherwise, my Adam wouldn't have had a wheelchair. Wonderful people that we uh, are appearing with. And the highlight today for this year is that my keynote speaker he is going to be Evita. And we're talking about the challenges that we currently have about why does a name Boysen case stall there? Why do we have the horrific race? And the Indian High Commissioner is flying down Mrs. Mamta Sharma who is the chairperson of the National Commission for I- Women Based in India so that we can look at its a global challenge that, that we currently have. We also have Nancy. It's a play that delivers commentary on the South African Universal Gay Experience. In the wings is a specifically disability of cerebral palsy. It's a man's world. This is Extremely important. It tells the story of our brothers struggling with issues of power, violence, anger, frustration, bitterness. And it is with six black men about talking about cultural issues that they do have. It so sounds like, a, it's an, an, as always, a
1: very important festival. We don't have time to go through the whole program, but what we are going to do is um, put a link on our Facebook page um, where we've got the whole line up. Yes. And I think that if you are in Cape Town, don't miss it.
2: But last I want to say, I saw a brilliant production, Bye Bye World, of two young women of Holland. And it was just so beautifully done about the everyday challenges ordinary women have. Will it be part of
1: I'm um, try.
2: I will get that for
1: 2014. There you go. Something to look forward to next year. But right now, you're listening to Otherwise Here, this year, 2013, coming to you from the Mother City. Marlene LaRue, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, as always. And we will be putting up the details. I think it's www.artscape.co.za. There we go. It's just a little bit after 1.30. Who knew? But right now, it's uh, News Headlines time with Utzile. Thanks, Nancy. High-profile politicians and struggle veterans are converging today on Lily's Lee Farm in Rivonia, north of Johannesburg, to mark the 50th anniversary of the apartheid police raid. Today marks the half, rather half a century since the raid, which dealt a major blow to the struggle against apartheid. Convicted drug dealer Cheryl Goyle has turned to the Constitutional Court to have her prison term reduced from 20 years to 12 years. Kwele, who is the ex-wife of State Security Minister Siabonga Kuehle, was convicted in May 2011 for, for dealing, rather, of dealing in cocaine. And the Hawks is investigating allegations of fraud and corruption in the leasing of properties by Limpopo government departments. The government spends more than 200 million rand per year on leased properties in Bulogwani alone.
0: Details at two o'clock.
1: But right now you're listening to Otherwise here on SAFM. Well, Yesterday, you might remember that we were to have spoken to Dr. Elliot Shovel. He's with the Headache Clinic. He wasn't able to join us at the time because he was operating, and I can't think of a better reason not to be able to to join us. But we do have him on the line today, and he's going to talk to us a little bit about the links between a woman's hormones and headaches, or migraines, because a a research study that uh, recently came from the Institute of Psychiatric Research in New York says that changes in oestrogen can lead to migraines and even seizures. But we have Dr. Shovel on the line. Hi, Dr. Shovel.
0: Hello, and I, I do apologise for yesterday. It was it was one of those unfortunate things. We had a patient who flew out from from Texas actually to have the surgery.
1: Well, I, I, there was a,
0: there was a whole confusion with the special scan we had to do, and that was delayed, and. You know, I'm so
1: sorry. Don't give it another thought. These things happen, and I can assure you we're quite used to crises. (laughs) Thank you very Uh, much. uh, But thank you for making yourself available today because I think there would have been a lot of women who had heard us announce it, say that it was coming, and thinking, oh, that's me. Um, Changes in estrogen can lead to migraines, migraines, headaches, certainly. Tell us a little bit about this study that was conducted. What What were they looking for? What did they find?
0: Well, what they were looking for was how do the you know how do these changes affect uh, the headaches? And it's it's quite a complex issue really, uh, because you know most people with um, with uh, hormone related headaches tend to blame the hormones, and it's an obvious thing to do. But the problem here is that most women with hormone related headaches have got a normal menstrual cycle. And that tells us that the the hormones are actually normal. So we don't we don't want to fiddle with the hormones because there's nothing wrong with them. What has happened in these people is that there's some problem in in the head and neck region, usually either a muscle tension or an arterial uh, problem, which is triggered off by the drop in In estrogen levels just before the menstrual cycle Uh, estrogen tends to protect people uh, against pain that's why I think uh, women probably are are less, uh, they're not so squeamish not as squeamish as men when it comes to to pain they've got more estrogen Um, the, the brain is rendered less sensitive to pain with high estrogen levels that's really why, why, during pregnancy, often women with migraines, in the second and third trimester of pregnancy, their migraines go away, and only reappear once the once the baby's born and once the mother's off the breast and the estrogen levels drop.
1: Talking of levels dropping, um, Dr. Chevelle, your level is dropping. I'm not sure if it's uh, it's quite possibly the line, but if you could just... uh, Oh, I'm
0: sorry. uh, No, no, that's okay. That's
1: that's That's a whole lot better.
0: Okay. Just a
1: quick reminder that we're talking to Dr. Elliot Shevell, and he is with a headache clinic, and there's not much that he doesn't know about headaches and or migraines, and certainly the relationship between hormones and headaches and migraines. So if you'd like to give us a call, you are welcome. The number here is 102010. 10. 10, 10. To come back to what you were saying about yes. um, uh, a lot of women who have a normal menstrual cycle, it means their hormones are normal. W- what is normal? Surely every woman is very different.
0: Well, if they have a 28 day cycle, then their uh, hormone levels are within a normal range. Okay. You know, and yes, they are different, but there's a normal range that is accepted by by gynaecologists as being within within the normal. So, if people have that now, if I may, I, I, there's a very good illustration of of how triggers uh, differ from the underlying source of the pain. If one can picture a, somebody putting a landmine under the ground and arming it. Anything walking or stepping on it will set it off. Those are the triggers. But if one takes the detonator out, then the landmine will not go off if somebody stands on it. And that is what we have to do with people that have menstrual uh, or any kind of migraine, really, and that is to find their landmine and defuse it. Then those triggers don't work anymore. Um, So... We don't, we don't actually manipulate people's hormones when they've got hormonal headaches. Uh, can you hear me now? Yes. Am I speaking uh, louder You moment?
1: are. It's just coming and going, but I suspect it's probably the line. Ah, so just,
0: no, no, that's
1: all right. Just keep um, shouting.
0: Yeah. yeah uh, and the other, the other thing that they found was that women that suffered from uh, migraine had less had less breast cancer. That was an interesting finding. And this is also probably related to the hormone levels. It's quite likely that some of them have a, a, a higher hormone level in between headaches, which would prevent them, which would then protect them.
1: Um, can we just quickly establish the difference between a migraine and a headache? And I'm sure anybody who's suffered either one of them will probably know, but w- technically or you medically...
0: Te- you know, technically there's no, f- there's no real dividing line. At the bottom line is a migraine is a very, very much more severe headache, and it's accompanied by more of the accompanying signs and symptoms like nausea, light sensitivity, light sensitivity sound sensitivity. Um, it gets worse when one does some mild exercise. But all these different symptoms are present in certain people with an ordinary headache. They just don't have them as much. So it's really a question of severity. Okay.
1: And can you explain then the um, how migraine sufferers have are less likely to have breast cancer? How does that work?
0: Well... Um, the, if, if the if the oestrogen levels sorry I, I actually said the wrong thing just now if the oestrogen levels are lower they are more likely to get headaches and lower oestrogen levels will be more likely to protect them from from breast cancer.
1: Okay, so that's,
0: that's the tie-up.
1: Okay, so if the estrogen levels are lower, they're more likely to get headaches, but less likely to get
0: breast yes. cancer. Yes,
1: Okay. So going back to the landlines, uh, sorry, the landmines that you were talking about, yeah. um, what was that landmine likely to be? Is it going to be hormone-based?
0: Hormone no, there are two main structures in the head and neck. Look, there are many structures in the head and neck that can cause pain. But the two that are most most likely to be implicated in headaches and migraines are the muscles of the jaws and neck and the arteries in the scalp, not in the brain. In 99% of people with headaches, the pain comes from outside the skull, not inside the skull. And even though it feels as though it's coming from the brain, it's not. So those two structures... Are involved, and if somebody has, for instance, a lot of muscle tension, but not quite enough to cause pain, and then their estrogen levels drop off just before the menstruation, they feel pain easier then. There's also water-fluid re- retention, which might affect the muscles, and there's also increased stress, which can affect the muscles. So, the Sorry,
1: I got, I got beyond myself. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, well, let me let me ask you a question while we're just untangling that. Right. I'm just thinking about how things change for a woman throughout her life, you know, her menstrual, menstrual cycle. Let's start at the beginning with a very young woman who, yep. uh, you know, you don't hear so often, or at least I can't think that I've heard so often, of very young girls who uh, start their menstruation cycle um, getting headaches it seems to get come more when a woman is older
0: well what happens is in children uh, um, boys and girls get the same number of headaches and migraines but the moment uh, they mature and uh, and when the girls start menstruating the the ratio goes from even to three to one so it starts at at the beginning of menstruation they start getting more and more headaches and it it appears that around about late teens uh, uh, until the 40s is when women get the most headaches and it's simply because they've got an additional trigger, they've got one more trigger than men have and that's that hormone fluctuation
1: So what can be done about it? What is this landmine that can? Well, yeah,
0: we have to find, we have to diagnose if it's mainly muscular, or mainly arterial, and very often it's a mixture of the two. And then we have to treat the underlying problem. If they've got a muscle tension problem, we have to treat the muscle tension. And if they've got an arterial problem, with what happens with the arteries in the skin is that they dilate, and the little nerve endings in the wall stretch, and that causes the pain of migraine. So in patients like that, um, we can do a surgical procedure to close off the particular arteries that are, are causing the pain, and that's highly successful. In muscle tension patients, we most often use a plate that the patient wears in their palate, which makes the jaw and neck muscles relax. So for most people, we can actually treat them without, without drugs, which is a, a, a great advantage.
1: Yeah, there aren't really, yeah.
0: really good drugs for prevention of, of, of headaches and migraines.
1: Um, muscle tension sounds like it could be very sort of uh, quite, quite seriously um, affected by, by stress. I mean, I suppose everybody suffers from muscle tension at some stage or another throughout a day, you know, you get tenser and tenser and tenser and you have to sort of persuade yourself to relax all muscles. Can it not be simply done by relaxation techniques?
0: Well, people try it, but it's quite difficult to keep on at it. And some people manage, some people do yoga or uh, any type of relaxation technique. But it's, uh, as I said, most people don't have the, the self-discipline to continue. And the other thing is that sometimes the muscle tension actually is, is, is greatest while they're sleeping. They tend to clench their teeth. Uh, and they, One thinks of sleep as, when, as, as being a relaxed state. But some people tense up during their sleep. So it's a a very difficult problem, and muscle tension is probably the most common cause of headaches. I think um, the figures are for tension headache, about 20% of the population. For migraine, 12%. But of those 12%, a lot of those are also muscle tension. So it's a great problem. And how does one, you know, when, when one is stressed, it's very difficult to we live in stressful societies.
1: Um, we, we also, yes, we also live in societies where there's a lot of chemicals flying around. There's lot a lot of chemicals. a lot of hormones in food. All sorts of things that are are in the food that we eat that weren't before. I think you've you've been with a headache clinic, or I think you founded the headache clinic for some time. Do you, does it seem to you that the incidence of headaches and migraines is increasing?
0: You know, you know the figures from all over the world. <coughs> are pretty, pretty static. They, uh, they don't find that they're increasing. And the interesting thing is that although we do live in a polluted society and, and, and perhaps in, for some people the pollution does contribute, they find that the, 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 the number of people with headaches and migraines is pretty much the same in a rural society or in a high-rise uh, city. And it's the same across countries and cultures and the interesting thing, one of the one of the food uh, that you probably are aware of is mon- MSG mm. monosodium mm-hmm. glutamate. Mm-hmm. But the Chinese and Japanese people get the same number of headaches don't get more than we do, and their food is full of it. So one wonders sometimes if these uh, certain chemicals that have been blamed are really to blame all the time
1: yeah a lot of a lot of people i mean let's stay with women because that's what we're really talking about a lot of women sort of self-medicate i suppose they carry a packet of Panado or whatever in their handbags yeah. Do, you know what about the the regular pill popping i mean it, it very often solves the problem what's your take on that
0: well uh, you know if one has a, a headache or a migraine now and again that responds to some over-the-counter or even prescription medication that's fine but the problem comes in when one has to take medication two or three times a week. What happens then is it causes what they call medication overuse headache. It helps in the short term but in the long term the headaches get worse and worse and more and more frequent. So then one takes more and more tablets and it's really a downward spiral. And It's it's a difficult situation because what does one do when one has pain? You have to take painkillers. So if possible, people should try and avoid the painkillers and we try and get to to have a decent diagnosis and find out what's causing it. Mm. A lot of people think, oh, it's just a normal headache. There's no such thing as a normal headache.
1: Uh, yeah, I suppose that I suppose they're not. just coming back to the the estrogen, the hormone connection, and the, a woman's uh, span of her life, we talked about the young girl, and you mentioned that a pregnant woman will very often find that you know as her as her periods have stopped, so her headaches seem to stop. What happens at the other end when a woman has reached um sort of menopause well you know, and her hormones start changing again, is she going to yes. be less prone to headaches?
0: Some people become less prone to headaches. And for some reason, some become more prone to headaches. And unfortunately, we don't understand enough to determine which ones, who's going to become more prone and who's going to become less prone. And the same is with um, with people on the contraceptive pill. Sometimes they help and sometimes they make it worse. It's a, it's a tough problem.
1: So if somebody comes to you, there's no sort of blueprint which, where you can say, okay, tick these different boxes, this is the problem, this is the solution. Do you, If somebody comes to you at the headache clinic, do you then take a, a complete history of that, of that woman in this case?
0: Yes. What, what we do, the very first thing is that the patient must have a neurological examination to exclude the possibility of any life-threatening intracranial problem like a tumor or a meningitis or some problem that can be treated. So the neurological examination is done first. Fortunately, the vast majority of people have no neurological problem. Then we move on to a very in-depth analysis. We ask them a thousand questions. We test their muscles. We have a look at the teeth and the jaws and the neck and all the other structures of the head and neck. We examine the arteries to see if the arteries are causing the pain. And in the end, we can usually come up with a pretty accurate diagnosis.
1: Just very lastly, very briefly, um, Dr. Shovel, a lot of women suffer in silence. It just happens. Once a month it happens. It just gets worse. Mm. And maybe they can't afford to go to the headache clinic. Maybe they can't really afford to get any sort of treatment, any sort of um, silver bullet, any sort of lifestyle change that you can recommend?
0: Well, uh, uh, lifestyle changes. You know, we like to think that a healthy lifestyle helps, but... There's been no literature on lifestyle changes helping headaches but what people what women can do is they can take if they know you see this is where the the menstrual headache is a slight advantage and that is people know when it's coming so we give people uh, an anti-inflammatory and actually the one that we use is called a leave and I don't I don't have shares in the company. But we use a leave because it's available over the counter. So they don't need a prescription and they should start taking the tablet a day or two before they expect the pain to happen. And this well, there you go. We're, going
1: to, we're going, to, going to leave it at that. But tip of the day, a leave if you uh, know that you're going to be getting that headache around about that time of the month, maybe that's the way to go. Dr. Elliot Shevel, thank you so much for making yourself available today. Thanks oh, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Absolute a pleasure. pleasure. Take care. Thank
0: right
1: you. Right, Bye. Dr. Elliot Shevel, well, if you'd like to find out more about the Headache Clinic, it's uh, headacheclinic.co.za. Next up, it's time um, for Sharp Sharp, the children's program.